0: Kane was there. Kane was there too. Yeah. No enhancement needed. This is Monday Night Raw! This is my It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on guys? And welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for October 12th, 2017. I'm Graham GSM Matthews. Hope you guys are doing great. We had quite the week in the world of wrestling between Hell in the Cell on Sunday. Raw, The Shield reuniting, don't want to undermine that moment, SmackDown Live, NXT, and even the launch of Impact's Global Wrestling Network this past Tuesday, all of which we will talk about momentarily, but before we get to any of that, in honor of WrestleRant Radio celebrating four years this past Sunday, October 8th, we got another exclusive interview coming your way here today on the show with WWE superstar Sin Cara. Ahead of the release of his new line of Reebok Classic merchandise hitting FootLocker.com exclusively tomorrow, Friday the 13th. We're talking all about the new line of shirts and shoes featuring himself and the legendary WWE Hall of Famer Eddie Guerrero. We talk about the Cruiserweight division wrestling for the Intercontinental Championship in his native Texas at WrestleMania 32. Latino wrestlers in WWE, a potential dream match. Hint, hint, with Rey Mysterio down the road, if it's still possible, and so much more. Now, you can check out pictures of the shirts and the shoes right now in the article of the interview that went up this morning on HiddenRemote.com, the WWE section, of course written by yours truly, who else? Uh, You can check out those pictures in the article, but the article merely highlights the, you know, the, the big talking points of the interview, the full 15 minutes of the interview. We talk about a lot more than what made the actual article. So that's why here today I'm airing the exclusive interview for you guys to hear from Sinkara's own mouth about WrestleMania 32, the Cruiserweight Division, idolizing Eddie Guerrero, who backstage the fan of shoes a lot like Sinkara. What went into this process, the partnership to make this uh deal happen between Foot Locker and himself and Reebok Classic and so much more. Whether it's going to open more doors for Uh, further WWE footwear down the road and so much more it's a lot of great stuff he was awesome to talk to and before we get started a big thank you to you guys for your full support of the show over the past four years because of stuff like that we're able to make stuff like this happen so thank you so much for that but in the meantime and in between time enjoy my exclusive interview with the former NXT Tag Team Champion the international sensation Sin Cara
1: how you doing man Sin Cara
0: hey Sin Cara how you doing today
1: good brother Good, so good, I just good. wanted
0: to ask you about the uh, partnership between Reebok and uh, you know and and Foot Locker and getting that done with WWE. So my first question for you Al, how what are the idea what do the ideas stem from to help Foot Locker and Reebok classic debut a new WWE collection of footwear and what has been your involvement in the process so far?
1: Well, it's uh as we all know we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month so it's uh it's been an idea for a while, you know, going on and and I was very hands-on to project. I had the opportunity to talk to the people that uh, were directly with Food Locker and, and Reebok and uh, I had a lot of input in it which is awesome you know with the t-shirts and with the, the shoe and little ideas and the box and everything that the shoe comes in with so I feel very honored to be able to participate in, in this project
0: Are there any other wrestlers that you're aware of or are friends with that are on board of the idea as well?
1: I mean uh, a few of the my friends I told you know about the project and Everybody was very happy for me that you know that something like this is, it's going on and something like this is happening for me, which is pretty cool. And they they hadn't really seen much of it. We we're probably starting to uh, know what was what was going on. And uh, it'll be uh, October thirteenth, the release date of the of the shoes and the two of the Cinca T-shirts. And they're gonna be two also uh, two tees for um, Eddie Guerrero. I and Eddie Guerrero.
0: Nice, nice. So it's only about nine days away. You said the thirteenth, so just about a little over a week away. Uh, yes, sir.
1: It'll, it'll be it'll be here soon, and I'm very excited. You know, people are uh, already asking for for it. I posted some stuff on my Instagram stories, and uh, I've been getting messages from people now, like where can they get him? How can they get him? You know, and how, what's what's the amount? What's going to be the price and that, all that stuff? So we're gonna have more details on, on that soon. But uh, as of right now. October 13th is going to be the release date, and uh, they're going to be $120.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Sounds exciting. And prior to this point, why do you think an official line of WWE footwear had not really happened? I mean, there's been some instances with Ric Flair and WrestleMania and Money in the Bank with Puma. Uh, why has it been kind of some uncharted territory, so to speak, prior to this point before your uh, recent rela- relationship with Footlock and Reebok Classic? Uh, to
1: be honest it's like maybe t- timing is perfect sometimes you know in, in this case it's it's uh it's one of those things that that it was able to work out between between the company and Food locker and Reebok. so i'm not really sure the details on, on why we haven't done other things with with other you know superstars but but i feel blessed to have the opportunity to be one of the of the first ones to ever have a, a his own you know shoe which is which is an awesome opportunity to to put my my brand out there you know
0: and WWE is already known for its merchandise. I mean, pretty much everyone has a t-shirt, everyone has this or that nowadays in the WWE shop and whatnot. Um, how do you think this is going to open the door for more potential partnerships down the road with other companies, um, as well as kind of tap into that uh, that market for footwear in WWE?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of sneaker lovers, and maybe some people, they don't know about wrestling, they're going to end up knowing about, you know, who Sin Cara is or who Ric Flair or other superstars are at, especially because it's not going to be like, you know, the typical, the, you go to shop.com or you go to a wrestling show to buy a a wrestling t shirt you're gonna see it at a foot locker you know and and maybe the fan that that is not a that's not the normal fan for us is gonna have the opportunity to buy a t shirt even if he doesn't know about wrestling but if he likes it he's gonna buy it you know he's gonna wear it so i think that's that's a great opportunity here that we trying to get to to a to a different type of view a different type of market
0: and were you a shoe collector growing up and are you still one today
1: well, growing up, I didn't have the means to be a shoe collector, mm-hmm. so uh, it was kind of hard, but nowadays I am, you know, I have a bunch of uh, shoes at home, sneakers, and, and you know, I, I have a bunch of them that I haven't worn yet, you know, I, I like to wear my sneakers, but I don't have the time sometimes, and and so I have them there, but it's one of those things that every time I open my closet and I see it, I feel, I feel pretty good about it, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to, you know, have things that, that you always wanted, and now that, that I have the opportunity to to have them, I I enjoy them.
0: Is there anyone else in the WWE locker room that's big into shoes and big shoe collectors? I know Enzo has kind of been well documented, the shoe collector, and Sheen McMahon as well. Anyone else that uh, you can share about that you can talk about?
1: Yeah, Kofi Kofi Kingston is one of those guys that mm-hmm. loves sneakers also, and you know I I know Big Cass also lo- loves Jordans and and a few of the guys. Uh, Rusev too. Uh, he loves loves tennis shoes, so it's funny. Like some of the some of us, like that that see each other, usually uh, tend to talk about sneakers. You know, and what what when when is the release date for certain sneakers, or you know, what color are they coming out, and things like that. And we ask, did you get them, or uh, how did you get them? How did you find them? So we we tend to talk a little bit about that. You know, some of the boys really like the sneakers, so it's fun to be able to talk about something besides just wrestling, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. And you said the release date is October 13th. Uh, How long has this idea been brewing for? I mean, you've been with WWE for a long time now. What was kind of the point where you, where this kind of got in motion and it's getting to where it will be on October 13th? Well,
1: it, it was one of those things that came into life, like about a month and a half ago. We, we talked about it. We, uh, They had a little bit of input in in what was going on, and and they made it happen. So I'm very blessed, very happy that we got it done, you know, ASAP. So I think people are going to really enjoy having the shoe and and having the box and and everything that comes with it. It's going to be a great package.
0: And you mentioned Eddie Guerrero earlier, too. Uh, What kind of influence did he have on your career, and how did he kind of pave the way for future Latino wrestlers in WWE?
1: Well, for me, growing up, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, Ciudad Juarez. That's where Eddie grew up also. So, you know, I, I had uh, the very first look of Eddie's career, you know, when he was starting back in, in the day. And, and I was about eight, nine years old when he started wrestling. He was about 18. So I remember, you know, vividly a lot of the matches that he had when he started and, and how he evolved into what he became, you know, a, a superstar and, and known all over the world. And So for me, it was a great influence, one of those people that – uh. That I believe that I that if he did it, I could do it also. So he motivated a lot of us, a lot of people that that were from that area, and, and not just from that area, but I think overall in, in in Latin America, you know that that anything could be possible.
0: And between yourself, Kalisto, Gran Metelee, Lince Dorado, Andrade San Almas, there's a lot of a uh, there's a there's a plethora of Latino stars in WWE at the moment. Uh, do you think any of them, including yourself, can fill that role that Eddie once had as a perennial main eventer in the WWE at some point?
1: I don't think to be honest like th- that's a a question that nobody can really answer because mm-hmm. mm, I can't compare myself to Eddie or or say that I'm going to feel in anybody's shoes, you know, I'm it's I'm Cingata, I'm I'm unique. You know, I'm different from everybody else. Calista is different. I think we're just trying to make our own, you know, history here in, in, in the company. And, and for me, the most important thing now is just to try and keep keep myself healthy and, and keep my legacy going. And hopefully one day when my career is over, I can say that I had a great career also like Eddie, but nobody can replace Eddie,
0: you know. Oh, absolutely. and he was obviously one of a kind, and, and nowadays it seems like there's more variety amongst the superstars, even than there was back then. I mean, like I said, between yourself, Kalisto, and everyone else in the cruiserweight division, and a number of others, it really didn't seem that way for a long time. Of course, Alberto Del Rio uh, was a former WWE champion, a former world champion. Uh, what have your been? Th- what have your thoughts been on the variety of the WWE superstars, Latino stars, and other people on top in the and in, in WWE in the last number of years? No,
1: it's been fun. I had the opportunity to work with with Alberto Del Rio, with Rey Mysterio when they were still here. So mm-hmm. I was I was fortunate enough to work with those guys and learn from them. You know, nowadays we have, you were saying, Calisto, Lince Dorado, Adrien Almas, Gran Metallic. We all come from, obviously, from, from Lucha Libre, but we all have our our uniqueness. Everybody does different things in the ring, and and the way our outfits are done are different. You know, we, we we tend to be unique, even even if people don't really think we are. We are very different. You know, we come in different shapes and sizes. And I think the most important thing now it's uh, for a lot of the like metallic and Andresianos is to adapt to the language barrier. You know, sometimes it's hard to adapt to the, to certain things in, in 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 the United States, especially if you don't know the language. So. I think the most important thing right now for them is trying to adapt and, and learn the language to to be able to speak it more fluently.
0: And you mentioned Rey Mysterio as well. Several years ago, that was considered a dream match by many WWE fans. And of course, this is a tough question to answer. Um, but could that still be considered a possibility down the road if Rey was ever to make the comeback to WWE considering his current uh, freelance status in wrestling?
1: Well, anything can happen. In life, anything can happen. And, and I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not saying that it's never gonna happen. Never say never. If it happens, I'll be more than happy to to be his, you know, to be part of history, which is would be would be pretty awesome. But as a, as of right now, we all know that he's doing great out there, you know, as, as an independent worker. But if he ever comes back and and that's a, a match that that can be set up, I would love to to work with him.
0: For you, what was it like to compete for the Intercontinental Championship in a ladder match in front of a hundred thousand people WrestleMania at uh, WrestleMania Thirty Two, but not just at any WrestleMania? It was in your native Texas, so kind of take me through that experience.
1: Oh yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, I've been I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan also, so imagine being in in, uh, mm-hmm. in the state of your of your favorite uh, NFL team, and then being in front of you know your family, peers, friends, and it was just an amazing experience, especially I never, you know, it was one of those things that I never thought it was going to happen. And then when it did, it, I was just trying to enjoy the moment. I remember after the match, everything, everything was done. I was just like, I was exhausted emotionally because I had put so much into it, you know, and, and, and prepare myself to be the best that I could be for the people and for everybody that, that, that saw wrestled that day. So it was one of those moments that I ended up like, Letting myself cry a little bit and enjoy the moment, and letting, letting people know that I that I was human, no matter what you know was under the mask, I was still human, and, and I was I was gonna enjoy the things that I did to 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 the max.
0: And the match itself had kind of came together in the last few weeks, right before WrestleMania. Was that something that you knew about months or weeks ahead of time, or did it really come together at the last minute as it did on TV? No,
1: <laughs> no, I was, it came together last moment you know we, i didn't have an idea if i was going to be in uh wrestling for the ic title match at mania you know we there was a lot of ideas thrown a lot of people like that they were going to put in the match and some yes some no at the end of the day i was part of, part of, of history and i was very blessed and I, I you know i think i did the best that i could to to get that opportunity and it, it was fun i enjoyed it all those those um uh, People went crazy when I started doing crazy things off the, the ladder. So for me, that was one of those great moments in in my career.
0: And you recently had homecoming in El Paso as well at a recent SmackDown Live house show where your son made your entrance with you, which was pretty cool. Uh, what was that experience like for you?
1: Oh, imagine, imagine as a father being being having your son walk with you to something that you love. It was it was an amazing experience. My son, we call him Sincarita now.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, uh, Sin Carita and, and me were, had a great time he, he he was he didn't know he was going to do it with me I uh I took his outfit and put it in my in my bag and he never knew about it until we got to the arena and when we got to the locker room I ended up unveiling him that he was going to come out with me and he was like you know, amazed, he was very happy, he, he was very anxious to come out, he, every 15 minutes he would ask me, what time is it, what time is it, when are we going, out? when are we going out, so so he enjoyed it, you know, he had a great time, and my family had a great time, we all, you know, enjoyed it, a lot of my friends, my my family texted me, and they are like, oh, that was a great moment, with you and your son, you know, so was, those are, I'm just trying to make memories for my kid later on in life, when, when I'm here, at least he can say that his dad, his dad was a cool dad. <laughs>
0: It definitely looked like a cool moment. I mean, it didn't make TV like I said; it was a house show. But WWE did take footage of it. It's on their YouTube channel, so people can check it out there. It's pretty awesome. Uh, just a final few questions for you: What was your brief stint like in the Cruiserweight Division while you were on Raw? And do you think that WWE is currently using those guys to their full potential over on that show?
1: Well, I mean, uh, to be honest, I I, uh, I was trying to make the most of my opportunity, but uh, in my case, I was only there for a couple of weeks. You know, I, I wasn't really there for long, and. I think the cruiserweights are great athletes. They, they you know, talented, t- talented wrestlers. But in my case, I, I think I'm, I'm just too big for the division. Not, not weight wise, because I weigh like 198. You know, mm. I can, I can do the weight. But I think uh, height wise, I'm, I'm a lot bigger. I'm about five, five ten, and then when you put in the boots, you, I'm about six, six about six, six, foot, six feet. So it's kind of like one of those things that, I guess, they want to have a, a certain. Type of wrestler in that division, which is fine, you know. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think it was a bad decision by by the company uh, not using me there. But I, I think now there's a lot of opportunities for for all those kids that are that are doing that. You know, Kalista just did her t- transition into the two hundred five. So I wish him the best, and hopefully, you know, that division can can flourish now.
0: And final question before before I let you go. Uh, do you believe making this deal between WWE and Foot Locker and Reebok Classic happen could be one of your biggest accomplishments? And if not just that, any other accomplishments you wish to have in the rest of your WWE tenure?
1: I'm sorry, you got cut off a little
0: bit. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Any other goals you wish to have in WWE in addition to this uh, relationship that you're kind of forming between Reebok Classic and WWE and Foot Locker going forward?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of things that I still want to do in my career. You know, I want to be a U.S. champion, an intercontinental champion, heavyweight champion, and maybe help uh, Foot Locker design some shoes. That would be awesome, you know, because I, I do some stuff on my own. I, I help some of the of my uh, co-workers uh, get their boots done and design some stuff for them. So I've done some of that work. So it'll be maybe in the future, it'd be fun to collaborate and doing some some nice shoes.
0: Sounds good. Like you said, the shoes are out October 13th. People can check out those. in I appreciate your time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, my friend. Thanks a lot. I'll catch you down the road.
1: Yes, sir. Bye-bye.
0: Once again, a big thanks to Sin Cara for his time. I thoroughly appreciate it. You guys could check out the new line of shirts and shoes hitting FootLocker.com exclusively starting tomorrow, Friday the 13th. You can also check out pictures of the shirts and the shoes right now in the article of our interview on HiddenRemote.com backslash WWE. So moving forward here, guys, before we get into Hell in the Cell, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, a few news and notes I want to share real quick. Uh, I was at Fozzy, like I talked about last week. I recorded last week's show on Wednesday. went up very early on Thursday morning because I had to head out to Worcester, Massachusetts with my old college roommate to catch this Fozzy show, of course, Chris Jericho's band. My first ever concert, not only my first Fozzy concert, my first ever concert, period. Which might sound hard to believe because I've been to well over... 50 wrestling shows in the past eight years, which is ridiculous, but I'd never been to a concert. Now, I wanted to go to the right one, Um and I like a lot of bands. There's a few bands I got a few songs by on my iPod, phone, whatever you call them these days, um, that I listen to. Fozzy was one of them. I would put in my top three favorite bands currently, if not of all time. Um, I'm not talking about like old school here, but that I listen to on a regular basis, being Fozzy, Breaking Benjamin, and Skillet. Now, To my knowledge, anyway, I did not know that any of those bands were touring here anytime soon until my girlfriend had uh, actually informed me that Fozzie would be doing a tour here in the Northeast and along the East Coast this fall, including in September and October and November over in Europe. So I found out they were going to Worcester, which was the closest they were ever going to come to me, so I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta go to this show. So uh, to make a long story short, it was a long day. We didn't get there until like 7 o'clock. I left... Here, Connecticut, or I was hoping to leave here at 11. The bus didn't show up till 12. Again, it was a long freaking day, but it was thoroughly enjoyable. I was thoroughly entertained. It was a great day. And Fozzy tore the house down. We also got to hear Gemini Syndrome and The Stir, two bands I know nothing about, but they were all right. But I went to see Fozzy, had an awesome time. They fucking rocked the place at the Palladium in Worcester, Mass. So if you ever get the chance to see Fozzy live, I strongly suggest it. They sound killer live. And it's timely, too, I mentioned that because your new album drops tomorrow, too, on Friday the 13th. So you get the Sincara Shoes and Shirts dropping tomorrow at Footlocker.com. The new Fozzy album, I think WWE 2K16 or 2K18, whatever it is now, I, I lose track, will be released tomorrow as well. On, uh, on Friday the 13th. So a lot of stuff going on tomorrow on Friday the 13th. I think the first Friday the 13th that we've had in the month of October, I want to say since like 2006, if not 2009, maybe 2006. Um, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time. And I feel like I I kind of sort of need to watch a Friday the 13th movie tomorrow. It's already October 12th, and I have yet to watch any Halloween movies this month, which is so unlike me, but it's been a super busy month. Which I should also mention, too, before we move on. Um, I thought after the Fozzie concert that I was done for a while. I might get tickets to go to the Rhode Island Comic Con. It's a convention, um, early next month in, like, middle of November. And Batista's going to be there, and a few other wrestlers as well, but I really, really want to meet Drax slash Dave Batista, the former WWE champion. How can you not know Dave Batista? And that's in November, so I thought it would be smooth sailing until then, nothing going on. The last couple weeks have been nuts, from the Fozzy concert to NXT. I've got grad classes going on during the week. It's been pretty crazy, Um, but that will not be the case, as I officially purchased my ticket this past week to meet Finn Balor, at carolines in new york city on sunday october 29th and uh, it, it, the funny thing is is that now that i'm home from college and when i was at school in mass i had a great time i'd go to all the shows in boston but now i find myself going to everything in the area um that's either in new york or in massachusetts or anywhere near me like i could only go to stuff when i was at school that was in massachusetts now that i'm back in connecticut and home right now Um, I can go to stuff in Mass, and Rhode Island, and New York, because it's kind of that state that's in between everything, so it works out really, really well, and New York is not too far from me, I'm just going to take the train in to go meet Finn Balor, you get a picture, you get an autograph, Um, so I'm looking forward to that on Sunday, October 29th, so if any of my New York City peeps will be there that Sunday, be sure to hit me up and let me know, we'd love to meet up with you at some point. So with all that out of the way, let's get into the business here, guys, with what's going on this past week in the world of WWE and beyond. Before we get to Hell in the Cell, I do want to talk about this real quick. The launch of the Global Wrestling Network. Now, a part of yesterday's GFW Impact TNA, whatever, conference call. I got to talk to Josh Matthews real quick. I had a quick comment. It's about like a minute-long clip. It went up yesterday on the YouTube channel. Now, it wasn't a terribly long quote-unquote interview at all. Henceforth, why I just put it up on YouTube and then didn't, uh, didn't really... I want to share it here on the show because it was way too short. But essentially, I asked him, like, will Impact pay-per-views in the future be featured on the Global Wrestling Network? So basically, like, if you're asking yourself, what the hell is a Global Wrestling Network? So if you've been living under a rock the past couple of days or pay no attention to anything Impact anymore, uh, essentially, the Global Wrestling Network is their version of the WWE Network. Of course, not nearly as good yet, but they got a lot of content up there considering it just launched a few days ago. They have all their pay-per-views, I think, ever. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm not sure about Slammiversary. I'm pretty sure Slammiversary is up there from this past year. But uh, other than maybe that, I think every pay-per-view ever from 04 to 2016 is up on the GWN, on the Global Wrestling Network, only at priced at a very low $799, which is not bad because there's a lot of great content on there that's been lost for a long time now. There's early episodes of Impact from like, 2004, British boot camp, A Legends, and all this other kind of stuff—it's not a bad deal. Now you can't like pause in the middle of a of a show and then go back to it later. But then again, the WWE Network didn't have that feature for a long time either, like six or seven months. So I just got to give the platform some time. But I signed up for it almost immediately, which I caught some flack for from people online because apparently the website was not secure. It was an unsecure WordPress set, a uh, WordPress site. So, in so many words, that means that uh, if you enter your credit card information and stuff like that, it's not completely secure. And when I went back on the website yesterday, it said it was secure, so I'm a bit more uh, at ease with that, having read that, but anyway, so that was among the issues the site first had when it was launched on Tuesday. But beyond that, the actual service is really, really cool. You press play, there's no ads in anything, which the WWE Network doesn't really have many of anyway, but you press play in a certain pay-per-view, you can watch the whole thing in its entirety right there which is really cool. So on Tuesday, after I bought the thing, um, and first of all, I should mention too, the first 30 days are uh, free. It's a free trial. You do have to enter your credit card information just so they have it on file, which is pretty standard for any, um, it could be a debit card or whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is. Just so they have it on file for if they do, if you do go past the 30 days. Now, they won't warn you. You have to know when the 30 days are up and cancel it before then. Otherwise, they will charge you. But again, it's 8 bucks. it's not that big of a deal, so on Tuesday after I bought the thing, I uh, watched Bound for Glory 2010 on the 7 year anniversary of the pay-per-view. Now, it wasn't one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time, but I had been looking for that show for a long time now. Because I've seen some old Bound for Glory shows, like on various wrestling websites, but I had never seen Bound for Glory 2010 anywhere from seven years ago. And there were certain matches from the show I wanted to see that I didn't get a chance to see when it initially aired seven years ago. So I was like, fuck it. So I was uh, in the mi- in the midst of doing stuff on Tuesday, so I just put it on the background and watched the show. So I'll probably have a uh, written review of that show randomly up on nextdaywrestling.net at some point in the next few days. And I also threw up a tweet up on the Twitter machine as to whether I should review TNA pay-per-views. Now, people asked me, a few years back, like, will you ever review TNA shows for Rant, my YouTube show on Tuesdays where I review old WWE pay-per-views. Now, by this point, I have talked about every WWE pay-per-view ever, with the exception of any pay-per-view that's aired in the past year, but beyond that, I have reviewed every WWE pay-per-view prior to 2016. So, um, I plan on, after I'm finished talking about the NXT shows, I plan on reviewing ECW and WCW pay-per-views, but for a long time, people were asking me, will you ever talk about TNA shows? Now, before now, before this past week, there was never any easy access to watch old TNA shows. But now there is, especially, since I'm now lo- uh, especially now since I'm logged into the network. So that being said, there's a pretty good chance of it. I threw up a tweet on Twitter, like I said, asking people for their opinion. Um, I forgot what the final tally was, um, but it came out to, I think, well over 60% people saying yes, they want to see TNA pay-per- pay-per-view reviewed on, the, uh, on my WrestleRan show. So that won't be anytime soon, maybe later on this year, maybe like in the next month and a half or so, actually. Um, but what I might do is like put up a tweet on the Tuesday before the show goes up the following week asking you guys, like, would you want me to see, would you like to for me to review a WCW, ECW, or a TNA pay-per-view this week? And once, whatever wins the poll, I'll throw out a question like, okay, so a TNA pay-per-view, what would you like me to review? Go. That kind of thing, you know? And uh, so it's going to be taking your opinions. So for the first time in the show's history, I'll be taking feedback from the fans, from you guys, and asking you what you would like to see me review on the show, on Rant every single Tuesday, whether it's a TNA show, WCW, ECW, I feel like that's a new interactive way to kind of uh, expand the show and get your feedback. Because before I would have like a set schedule of like when I would watch this when I would watch this WWE pay-per-view or I would have a full theme for the month of whatever, like October would be hell in the cell month or like I talked about every in your house pay-per-view earlier this year, that kind of thing. So now that that's out of the way, I will talk about TNA, WCW and ECW. So more on that as it unfolds in the next month and a half. But bottom line, the global wrestling network so far, a good deal. 799 is not too bad. 999 is still a steal of a deal for the WWE network. Now, Like I said earlier, when Josh Matthews had answered my question on the teleconference um, talking about if they will air exclusively on the Global Wrestling Network, um, their pay-per-views, the Impact pay-per-views anytime soon, it doesn't look like that's going to happen with Bound for Glory. He did say the Uh, the wait to watch the pay-per-view on the network might be a few days, if not like a week or so. So they're not exactly sure what the delay will be, but bottom line is that Bound for Glory will not be airing on the GWN, so don't get yourself confused there. But that does not mean you should not sign up for the network, for the the service, because I think it's still a steal of a deal for all that great classic content of TNA that you've been waiting to watch for a long time now. Now, I know there's a lot of people that don't watch TNA anymore, Which is fine, although the product has improved immensely in the last few years. But if you don't watch the product anymore, that's fine. But I'm sure there was at least at one point you did watch the program and enjoyed one era of TNA. Whether it was in 04, 08, 2011, whatever it was. Uh, 2012 for me was like the pinnacle. That was when they had some really, really good shows going on. So I want to watch some shows from uh, 2012 pretty soon. Rewatch those. But whatever it is, it's all available at your fingertips now for only $7.99. I'm not trying, they're not like paying me to promote it. I'm just saying I think it's a really, really good deal. So definitely check it out um, if you're interested in the days ahead. So with all that out of the way, let's talk about a Hell in a Cell from this past week airing on October 8th, 2017. A damn good show overall. You know, the thing is is that we've never really had a great Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Now I talked about this briefly on Wednesday's hashtag AskGSM that we've never had a truly, like, amazing Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. But I thought this show was very good overall. Uh, the kickoff match, Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable knocking off the Hypros in a better-than-expected kickoff match uh, for a match kicking off the show. Not the actual show, but on the pre-show. It, w- it was pretty damn good. But, um, yeah, anyway, with that aside, I mean, I thought the overall actual event was damn good. And I thought it was a uh, a real good show overall. I mean, again... How can you go wrong with two really, really, really good Hell in a Cell matches? The undercard was nothing amazing. There were a few decent matches here and there, which we'll talk about momentarily. But overall, I thought it was a thumbs-up show, if only for those two Hell in a Cell matches. So speaking of which, one kicked off the show. For the SmackDown Tag Team titles, it was the Usos contending for the gold against The New Day inside Hell in a Cell. Now, these two teams have taken it to another level in recent months with their stellar series of matches. And I honestly believe that these two might have had the best tag team feud I have ever seen in WWE, at least since I became a fan almost 10 years ago in 2008, which I know is not saying much because tag team wrestling has not exactly been a priority of WWE's in a very, very, very long time. But these two teams always bring the best out of each other. And it's not one of those cases where it's like, oh my God, they've had so many matches. This feud needs to end ASAP. Like I'm sick of this feud. That's not the case at all. Like, I'm almost disappointed the feud's over, that we won't be getting any more of these type of matches. And not every single match is the same. They're all different, uh, and they've slowly escalated. I thought the Battleground match was awesome, was easily the best part of that show. The SummerSlam match that they had in the kickoff was also really, really, really good. The Sin City SmackDown match they had a few weeks back was also awesome, and this was easily the best of the bunch. In my opinion, one of the best matches all year, if only for the... Uh, The weapons they used, and the pure carnage, and the bad blood. Everything about this was fucking awesome. Xavier Woods, I thought, was the MVP of the Cell matchup. Um, He, Big E, and the Usos really put forth an amazing effort here, and it paid off big time. Uh, This is easily a match of the year year contender at this point. It's only October. I would put Bait and Dunn up there from TakeOver Chicago earlier this year, and maybe a few others, and maybe the four-way from SummerSlam. But um, other than those, wow, this is is certainly in the running for one of the best bouts I've seen in WWE all year, because this was fucking great. And in the end, it was the Usos who clinched the victory and are the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions becoming five-time Tag Team Champions in the process. So we'll talk about what lies ahead for them on SmackDown when we get to that review soon enough. But, damn, I mean... I'm glad they they kicked off the show on a high note, but the thing is, is that nothing else was going to come close to topping this. Like, the main event I thought was great, and this could have easily headlined the show, no question. But I don't think we've ever had a... Maybe at some point, but it's been a long time, I think, since we've had a tag team title match, main event, a pay-per-view. To my memory, I'm sure it's happened before, I know it's happened before, but I can't think of one in recent memory. Um... But anyway, I'm looking forward to uh, what's next for both these teams because they really raised the bar for tag team wrestling with their series of matches since the month of May because I thought this was fucking phenomenal. Again, nothing else came close on this show to topping it, which kind of hindered the rest of the card, um, but it was still just an amazing effort and easily, like I said, one of the best matches in WWE all year. After that, we had Randy Orton versus Rusev, which I know is quite the contrast, but it really wasn't that bad. I didn't think so anyway. I thought it was a nice little match. They really didn't get the time to have the match. Not even really. They did not get the time to have the match, uh, to have a match that to see, to, for them to show us what they're really capable of. When they did battle the first two times, both at SummerSlam and on SmackDown, both bouts ended in like collectively under 20 seconds. So they got some time here. I thought it was a nice little match, a cool finishing sequence. If you if you didn't care about the match, that's fine. The feud's been a complete throwaway. But I thought the finishing sequence, you gotta agree, was pretty sweet. So Orton's like warning uh, Rusev that he's about to hit the RKO, you know, when he's slapping the mat, doing that whole thing with his fists. And while he's doing that, Rusev jumps on top of his back, he reverses that, grabs his arm or whatever, grabs his wrists, and then jumps on his back and locks in the accolade. That was pretty cool. That was a really cool sequence. So, obviously Orton gets out of it, hits the RKO for the clean one, two, three. So, does Rusev no favors? I'm not exactly sure what this does for Randy Orton. Uh, Not the burial, but the poor usage of Rusev continues, which is a massive shame. Um, But I thought this was a good match, if nothing else. I just really want both guys to do something exciting again. And Rusev is a lot better than what they're doing with him right now, obviously. I think he showed that with the National Rusev Day thing a few weeks ago on SmackDown. The guy can be wildly entertaining if they give him the platform and the time to talk. With Orton... The guy's gotta go heal. He is burning. He is itching to go heal right now. He said as he said as such, he said as much on the uh Edging Christian podcast, the podcast of awesomeness or whatever they call it a few weeks back. He said in so many words, he is dying to go heal. He really, really wants to go heal. Cause he obviously has a lot more fun in that role than he does as a babyface. And it's not to say that he can't be a good babyface. Like you go back to 2010, 2011, the guy was fucking red hot with the reactions he was getting from the crowd at that point, right after he turned from WrestleMania 26 for about a year there, between that WrestleMania and WrestleMania 27, people were digging Randy Orton. It was only up until he beat Christian for the world title on that episode of SmackDown in May of that year that people started to give him some flack. And then when he turned face again a few years ago, I think in 2014, um, after the authority kind of sort of split up, he was, re- he was red hot then too in 2015. People were digging him. It looked like he was having more fun with this character. But the past year, Orton has just been abysmal. Like, this is nothing new. This is nothing groundbreaking. You guys probably already know this. He just does not look like he's having any fun at all. The same can be said for Dolph Ziggler, who I'll talk about soon enough as well. But with Orton, the quick fix is just turn him heel. You know, the guy is... He's a perennial main eventer. They can put him in any role and he'll do fine. Ziggler, it's at the point where I don't give a shit about his character anymore. I could still care about Randy Orton if they turned him. And as a heel, I think he thrives. He flourishes. So they got to turn him at some point. Uh, Just the only issue, I think, with that is that they just turned Sami Zayn, which, again, I'll talk about soon enough. So they might need the babyface power right now. But then again, when you really think about it, they have Shinsuke Nakamura. They have Randy Orton, but if they turn Orton, they still have Nakamura, Bobby Roode, fucking AJ Styles. I think they're good in the babyface side. They need more credible heels, because Jinder is, I know he's the WWE champion, but he fucking blows right now. Ziggler means nothing. Rusev means nothing. Baron Corbin is finally being built back up again. They need more heels, and I think Orton could be a real good, credible heel for them. And they also have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, which is obviously helpful as well. But um, they need more heels, and I think Orton could very well contribute to that if he was to turn in the near future. Um, After that a triple threat match yes a triple threat it went from one-on-one to a three-way match with Ty Dillinger And as soon as the perfect 10 was added you had to know he was getting pinned by Corbin So he served his purpose he got pinned by Corbin who picked up his first ever piece of WWE gold in the form of the United States Championship Uh, The three-way with Corbin Dillinger and Styles I thought was really really good I thought the one-on-one match that Corbin and Styles had on Smackdown a few days later was a bit better there was a few dead spots here. I mean, Corbin was like uh, trying to work over Dillinger and then Styles, and it got to a bit boring at certain points. But overall, it was a terrific triple threat, and I liked the finish a lot. Um, it looked like they were trying to protect Styles, which they did in this match, but then when they had the rematch on SmackDown a few days later, Corbin beat him clean, which I'm glad he did, which you know cuts the feud short. No reason for AJ to go back after the belt. And Jinder Mahal was not on SmackDown this week. So now that Nakamura's wrapped up his rivalry, seemingly, with, uh, with Jinder Mahal, maybe Styles moves into that spot in time for uh, Survivor Series in next month. And if he's the next one to job clean the Jinder, then that's a fucking waste. Uh, but I think they could tell a cool story if AJ was to beat Jinder for the belt at like Survivor Series, and the Nakamura's like, you know, AJ says to Nakamura, I beat Jinder when you couldn't twice, and that kind of plants the seeds for the WrestleMania match between the two down the road. Um, in just a few more months. And which I would do, I think at the point, I think WrestleMania 34 would be the perfect stage, the perfect platform to do that match. And it has to be over a world title. I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be, but I think it is the biggest match the brand can do right now. But anyway, bottom line, going back to what I was saying earlier, Corbin, U.S. champion, I like it. The clean win on SmackDown, I like it a lot. And uh, I guess we'll see where they go with him as United States champion from this point forward. Does he feud with Dillinger? Uh, Luke Harper has already gone back to being a heel. He's teaming back up with Eric Rowan, which I think is great. The SmackDown division needs them right now. The SmackDown tag team division needs them at the moment. And they also work well together, and they're way better together than they are apart. And Harper can shine on his own. The only issue is that they don't do anything with the guy, which is fucking just mind-boggling after he was on such a roll earlier this year, breaking away from the Wyatt family. And then they just had him lose and lose and lose, and then eventually just disappear from TV. But anyway, um, going back to what I was saying, who do you put with Baron Corbin right now? Dillinger got pinned here. He wasn't even on SmackDown, which surprised me and also bothered me too because it was 10-10. It was October 10th, Ty Dillinger Day. And, it won't, and you know that won't happen with SmackDown again for a, a long time. I mean, or Raw for a while. So unless he goes back to NXT next year and he's on the uh, 10-10 episode of NXT, I thought it was a missed opportunity. But uh, Corbin and Dillinger would not be bad. That would be a solid feud. I'm trying to think who else they have in the mid-card division on SmackDown. Bobby Roode and Corbin could be nice as well. I could get behind Roode as a uh, United States champion. Corbin and Orton would not be bad. Um, I, I feel like that could be either a really good feud or a really boring feud. So I'm not exactly sure. But um, that's also one possibility. That's a fresh feud to do as well. So I guess we'll see. After that, for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Charlotte versus Natalia. A renewal of an old rivalry. Uh, the match was alright, it just never really got going. You know, it wasn't bad, but it was pretty boring, and before they could pick up the pace and get to that next gear, get to that next level, Natalia got herself DQ'd. So she holds on to the title, Charlotte wins the match by DQ, but not the championship. Obviously a placeholder bout. I was hoping that either Charlotte would win, or Carmella would get involved, and she'll cash in soon enough. But, um, Natalia just does not do much for me as champion. She plays the role well, but, um, I don't know. I'm not really digging this feud right now. We've seen it a million times. Between NXT, Raw last year, and now this, we've seen the feud a bunch of times. Maybe not with Charlotte as the babyface, um, but still, I'm, I'm not really, I don't really care too much for this feud at the moment. I really wish they would just kind of move past it and move on to something more exciting. I mean, I guess it could be worse. They could have Lana or Tamina in there or fucking God knows who else. But, I don't know. I thought this was a pretty lame finish. After that, for the WWE Championship, you talk about lame. Jinder Mahal successfully defends the WWE title again against Shinsuke Nakamura. And the match wasn't even good. It was pretty evident at SummerSlam they did not have any chemistry. Now, you think to yourself, okay, maybe that was a one-time thing. Maybe the rematch will be better. And the fact they weren't inside Hell in a Cell... Now, I'm not a proponent of doing three Cell matches in one show, but it made fucking sense. Because the whole reason why Nakamura lost in the first place at SummerSlam was because the Singh brothers got involved. And they got involved again here too, like multiple times. And Nakamura fell for it like an idiot. And of course, Charles Robinson eventually, you know, booed them from ringside. But by that point, it was too late. Jinder capitalized. He laid out Nakamura with the, uh, the Colossus, one of the worst finishers in wrestling today. And he won. Clean. Again, even Chris fucking Jericho went on his podcast this past week. He interviewed the Singh brothers. He talked about, and he he recorded it after Hell in a Cell. And it went up on Wednesday. And he's like, oh, and Jinder is coming off his successful WWE title events at Hell in a Cell over Shinsuke Nakamura in a clean win, which I think is a questionable booking decision. And I could not agree more. I could not agree more. And I'm not going to go on another 20-minute rant here, but Jinder is not working as WWE Champion. Now, the fact that we're booing the finishes because he keeps on holding onto the belt does not mean we hate the guy. We just don't fucking care. Like, if he came out at a show that I was at, I would sit on my hands. I don't give a shit. The matches suck. His promos are not good. He wasn't even on the show on Tuesday, and I think it really helped the show. And the guy's the WWE Champion. That's bad. And uh, it's doing damage to Nakamura. Who is this helping at all? I mean, gender's not Jinder does not feel any more legitimate than he did... Four or five months ago. Shinsuke Nakamura feels like he has fallen down a few pegs since arriving on SmackDown back in April. Both guys have been worse off because of this feud. I mean, Mahal hasn't been worse off, but the guy is still just not clicking as WWE champion. The matches suck. If Nakamura can't get a good match out of you, then that's not a good sign. I could see the Orton matches, but, you know, how those might kind of been boring and as expected, but the Nakamura match should have been a lot better, and they weren't. Um, even AJ had a match with Jinder a few months ago back on SmackDown, which also was not that good. It was mediocre at best. And you never had a me- you never have a mediocre match with AJ Styles. It's not a good sign. So, again, I'm beating a dead horse here. I've, I've said it a million times. I've said it once. I'll say it a million times over. The guy is not clicking as WWE Champion. And it really seems like the plan is to keep the belt on him until at least the Rumble, which is fucking ridiculous. But they really want him to go into India as the WWE Champion. Now, it would have been fine if they put the belt to Nakamura here and maybe then took the time I mean, I would have been pissed then too, but at least they would have given Nakamura his moment, albeit for a month or two before he dropped it back to Jinder at, at Survivor Series or Starcade or whatever. And then Jinder would have walked into India as, as a WWE Champion. But that's not the case. Like, it, it's doing damage to Nakamura. He looks like a fucking loser and losing to Ginder twice in, in relatively clean fashion, so... Again, I don't know where they go from here. I would assume Styles versus Mahal is the next feud for the WWE title. Where Nakamura goes from here is the real question. Like, does he get bumped down the card and go back to facing fucking like Rusev or some shit? That's the real question to be asked here. And I hope not, because the guy's special. But they're quickly diminishing his value by having him lose to guys like Jinder, and fashion in fashion, you know, in ways like this, where he's made to look out like he's made out to look like a loser. And it's a real shame considering the potential he has to be a real money player on the SmackDown brand. After that, we had Bobby Roode versus Dolph Ziggler. Fine match, but coming off that awful fucking finish in the WWE title match, no one cared. People were hot for Roode when he came out, but beyond that, no one gave a shit. Roode won with uh He held the tights of Ziggler, and then Ziggler laid him out afterwards. So this accomplished basically nothing. Main event, Kevin Owens versus Sheen McMahon inside hell in a cell. Obviously, the other cell match was better. Like, there's no question. But I thought this told a good story. Did not need the last 39 minutes. That was a kind of a long time for a cell match. Definitely one of the longer cell matches in history. But um, I thought it was pretty good. They took their fight all around ringside, inside the cell, on top of the cell, outside the cell, everywhere. I thought it was real cool to watch. Um, Owens, at one point, looked like he was going to jump off. And you knew that he wasn't going to. I mean, the guy's fucking, like, close to 300 pounds, 250 or whatever. He was not going to fly off the cell. And Rikishi was a different story because he was falling into like the stack of hay or whatever it was um, in the back of that truck back at Armageddon in 2000. This was not that. This would have been through a commentary table and Shane's a fucking crazy person. So, of course, he was going to do the bump and not Owens. But anyway, as Shane went for the bump, uh, KO pulled an Undertaker from WrestleMania 32 and moved out of the way, but not on his own. It looked like KO moved... But then we soon realized via the cameraman, I thought the camera I, I thought the camera work here was great. So Shane goes through the table. You see Owens move out of the way. And then, everyone's paying attention to Shane. No one's paying attention to like the side of the cell. So if you watch back to pay-per-view, you'll see Sami Zayn right there. But um, you're not really paying attention to that while you're watching the show. You want to see Shane fall off. So you're paying attention to Shane. You see KO move. And Shane goes through the table. I just assumed KO rolled off. But he didn't. He got help from none other than Sami Zayn. The camera focuses it on his face, it zooms in, and he has this like conflicted look on his face. It was fucking great. I thought everything about this was pure perfection. So he covers Owens on top of Shane. KO picks up the win, and Sami Zayn later said on SmackDown that he was tired of being overlooked. That the only time he ever interacted with Shane before recently was when he signed with SmackDown. He thought he was going to get more opportunities here on the show, and it's been anything but. He's been hardly on the show in the past few months and that he wanted to do the right thing, and if his way of getting to the top was by aligning himself with Kevin Owens, then so be it. He was going to save his former best friend from the maniacal son of a McMahon, uh, which I thought was great logic. The promo was awesome. I thought everything about that was really, really good. The delivery, the logic, the chemistry he has with Owens, everything about it was awesome on SmackDown. So... I've said it before a few times, I talked about it on Hashtag, I wrote an article about it on Tuesday, so I feel like I've said it a few times by now, but uh, just to kind of reiterate myself real quickly, it's a great move, and we said it on Hashtag a few weeks ago, someone asked me, like, oh, would uh, Sami Zayn, would Sami Zayn uh, reuniting with Kevin Owens be a good idea to turn him heel? You know what? Having Sami Zayn as, you know, as a heel would not be ideal because he's such a natural babyface. but you know what? Whatever gets him on the fucking show again, whatever gets him in a meaningful feud on the show, then so be it. And now we finally have that. So I have no complaints. I thought this was really, really well done. And now I find myself excited to see where it's going to go in the weeks and months ahead. Now, I hope they don't pull the plug on it anytime soon and it's revealed that Sammy used KO. And maybe at some point down the road, that'll be the case. Maybe before WrestleMania, maybe Kevin Owens wins the WWE Championship at some point between now and WrestleMania. And then that's when Sami Zayn turns on him now. It's a lot like Orton and Bray Wyatt from earlier this year, but it'd be ten times better because they have the history, they have the chemistry, it makes sense. Do the math. I think it would be a great uh, storyline to follow. But overall, though, like I said earlier, I thought Hell in a Cell was a pretty standard show, uh, a good show on the whole. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The two Cell matches you can't go wrong with. Throw in a decent match from Orton and Rusev, which no one really cared about, but it was what it was. And a uh, real good triple threat for the US title. I thought it was a good show. Not a great show because the WWE title match sucked. The women's match was mediocre and no one cared about Rudin and Ziggler, But overall, I thought it was a pretty, uh, pretty solid show. I'll say that much. So we move along here to Monday Night Raw, which was all about Tier Hotel, India Echo, Lima Delta, The Shield. They're back, baby, for the first time since my birthday in 2014. Yes, The Shield broke up on my birthday. Worst birthday ever. Thanks, Seth Rollins. But anyway, so they reunited officially on the show in the same city where they both broke up and formed five years ago at Survivor Series. That's awesome. That is the best long-term booking I've ever seen, if I've ever seen any long-term booking from WWE in some time. That was great. Um, I know that was not intentional. It just kind of sort of happened. But for them to break up and and then also reunite as well as form in the same city, like for two of those things to happen in the same city is just surreal, for it to happen, for all three things to happen in the same city is amazing. Indianapolis is be- is better be where they get inducted into the Hall of Fame in a few years. It has to be um, after, and not in a few years, but whenever it happens, fifteen, twenty years from now, that has to be where they go in the Hall of Fame because this is just too good to be true. Very, just very much too good to be true. But anyway, so Miz held Miz TV with the bar, and they're talking about the Shield and how they can't cut it, and all the rumors about a Shield reunion. And then Roman comes out and says. Who said anything about rumors? And then Dean Ambrose came out to a big pop, and Rollins came out to a big pop, and they approached the ring, they laid out the bar, they laid out the mid, they laid out Curtis Axel. Great, great moment. Like, this is the first time I've been able to watch Raw live since, um, I think, Labor Day, because now my grad classes are on Monday nights and Tuesday nights. So I can sometimes watch SmackDown, because I'm out around, like, 8 o'clock usually on Tuesday sometimes. So, I, I can't watch SmackDown Live from time to time, but it's very rare I can sit home and watch a Raw in full. Like, the last time was Labor Day, and now I can't really do it anymore with class and stuff on Monday nights. But I'm very happy I was able to watch this moment live, is what I'm getting at here. And I watched it with my girlfriend. She was watching me go crazy. Like, I was uh, I was marking out to the fullest. Like, it's, it's very rare I get to mark out like that nowadays, because there's not much, like, exciting stuff that happens that you don't see coming. And I mean, we all saw this coming, but The Shield was... One of, if not my favorite faction of all time. Uh, Just from how they were booked, and the rise to the top, and the aftermath, and the feuds, and the matches. Especially the matches. The Shield was fucking awesome. And I tweeted this out yesterday, but again. I'm gonna say it again. People complaining about, holy shit. You know, this is just a vehicle to get Roman Reigns over. You damn sheep. You hypocrites. You're gonna cheer Roman now. Who fucking cares? It's awesome. You are the reason we cannot have nice things. You, you are the reason we cannot have nice things. Who cares if it's trying to get Roman over? I'm sure that's exactly what this is supposed to design to do. I'm sure that's exactly what the shield, the reunion, the reunion of the shield is designed to do, is to get people to like Roman again. I understand that. I'm I see that. I'm not dumb, but that doesn't make it any less cool. I'll probably still boo Roman Come WrestleMania when he's facing Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship, but for now, this is fucking cool. I think it's a great stable. Uh, A great idea, and I thought the moment was awesome. Now, that was not the last time we saw the Shield on this show. He came out, they came out again after Braun Strowman beat Matt Hardy. They laid out Braun Strowman and put him through the table. So, this Raw was all about the Shield, and they will face The Miz, The Bar, and Braun Strowman in a four on three handicap TLC match at the TLC pay per view next Sunday. So, I can't wait for that. Um, I really wish it was just three on three. They could take Miz out there. I know Miz has been involved in this program for so long now, since the you know since it was first teased a few weeks back. So I, and I get that and I understand that and whatnot, but I really do think that uh it, it should be just three on three. And Miz is ISC champion anyway. He's Intercontinental champion. Like take him out of the match, put him up against like Jason Jordan or something again. You know Jason Jordan I assume is not done with the Miz in the Intercontinental Championship. So you take Miz out of the match, and you just have Sheamus, Cesaro, and Braun Strowman, but if it's going to be four on three, this is fine. I'm totally fine with that, because it looks to be a great main event. If it's half as good as the first Shield match ever in WWE, which was also a TLC match, also at the TLC pay-per-view against Daniel Bryan, Kane, and Ryback, then this should be great. Um, Also on Raw, Jason Jordan, speaking of whom, beat Carl Anderson in a nice outing. He was a bit more over here than he has been in front of past crowds, which was cool. Um, I think he's not from the area, he's from Chicago, but I think he went to school in Indianapolis, so that's the case, maybe that's why, but if not, it's cool to see that he got a good reaction here. Elias beating Apollo Cruz again, who cares? Another big angle on the show, Kurt Angle confronting Enzo More, saying that you will not only defend the championship against Kalisto TLC, but you will also do it tonight in the main event against Kalisto. Um, in a Lumberjack match. So they had the the entire division out there, which made sense because the whole division's been, like, you know, circling Enzo now for weeks on Raw in the main event segment. So they closed that Raw for the third straight week, and it was a good match. I mean, easily the best Enzo Amore one-on-one match I've ever seen. That that goes without saying. I thought the No Mercy match with Neville, who I'll talk more about momentarily, was fucking terrible. Um, I thought that was awful, but this match was pretty good, especially the second half. I thought when the crew, oh, yeah, the cruise got involved, the lumberjacks got involved, and they all the action spilled outside the outside of the ring, and Kalisto locked in his finisher on Enzo on the top rope. The Salida del Sol hit that and got the pin. It was a cool moment. People reacted, you know. People were sitting on their hands when Kalisto was announced as the newest member of 205 Live last Monday in the main event segment of Raw. And understandably so. I mean, Kalisto's been a non-player on the roster for so long now. And I'm sure people were expecting a bigger name like Johnny Gargano or Hideo Atami or someone like that. And it was fucking Kalisto. But they did react here after a good match. It might have been more because they just hate Enzo now and he's a heel. And it was more about Enzo losing the championship than Kalisto winning it. But that doesn't take away from the fact it was a cool moment. He dedicated it to Eddie who celebrated, uh, who who would have celebrated his 50th birthday on Monday, so that was a cool tie-in, too. I liked it. Now, there's rumors going around that it was supposed to be Neville in this spot. Um, I don't believe that. I mean, I Dave Meltzer and a few others were reporting that it was supposed to be Neville, and he was told that he was going to lose, which is why he walked out of Raw before it went live on Monday night. So, why would they have had Neville? I mean, I know this company doesn't think things through. I understand that, but... The whole thing they did a few weeks ago, the day after, no mercy, was that Neville attacked Enzo Amore, with the thought being that if he attacked Enzo, then he could not get another shot at the championship as long as Enzo is champion. Now, they did not explain the fact that he would ever get another title rematch after that on 205 Live or on Raw. It's pretty much been known for the past two weeks that he would not contend for the championship again. Now, he was in the main event of Raw that segment last Monday. He was not on 205 Live the next week, or the next night. And he was not on Raw this week, which I thought was weird. But then again, would you really want to see Neville like being just another cruiserweight in the division, helping, you know, holding Kalisto on his shoulders? That would have been weird. So I I kind of find that hard to believe. I mean, then again, Neville has not tweeted since he trashed that shirt that came out for him, which was not good, by the way, I agree, a few weeks ago. So he has yet to debunk any of the claims. So I'm sure there is some truth to this. But if he does leave WWE... That's pretty unfortunate. Um, Neville has been one of the best MVPs, one of the best players in this company all year since he went heel. That very long reign, two-time Cruiserweight champion. Uh, You know, the guy has been one of the best parts of the WWE all 2017 long, all year round. And for him to just up and leave, for what reason, we don't know. Now, if it's over a t-shirt or the fact he was going to lose to Enzo again on the show... Maybe those were factors. I doubt that was the only reason. There must have been more behind this. To me, it sounds like an Austin Aries situation where he says, fuck it, if you're not going to put me in the heavyweights, then I'm out of here. But he just lost the belt like two weeks ago. You know, Aries left about a month after the Extreme Rules match, and I think he said he had to heal some injuries or something like that. So, he probably, you know, waited a while before asking. I mean, I'm sure he asked a few times, like, hey, can I he go back to wrestling with the cruiserweight or the heavyweights? And they said no a few times, and that's why he left, and then granted his release. Um, with Neville, he just left. He just lost the Cruiserweight division. He just lost the Cruiserweight championship. He would have just left the division, you know, this week or whatever. So, it seems like it's a bit too soon. Uh, but I've said before, like, if anyone should be quitting the Cruiserweight division, it's fucking Gran Metalik. That's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And that guy's rarely even on TV. And they have done next to nothing with the guy since they signed him a year ago. So, if anyone should be leaving WWE. It should be Grand Metallic. Neville has nothing to worry about. So, and again, why would he be leaving now? I mean, he's been the most featured player in the entire Cruiserweight division all year round. He's had great matches. He held the belt for a very long time from Royal Rumble to Great Balls of Fire or SummerSlam or right before SummerSlam, whatever. He got the belt back before dropping it again a month later. But beyond that, the guy's been pretty prominently featured all year round. Now, he might not be happy with that, but then again, this is the same guy that was barely on TV in 2016. The same guy who they did next to nothing with in the main roster in 2015. So if he was really all that unhappy with his current spot in the company, then why wouldn't he have left a year ago? Like, I'm sure I'm not, like, I'm not, uh, you know, I- I'm sure there's some truth to the reports that he was unhappy with his current status in the company, but... And the Cruiserweight division, like we've talked about a million times, is the fucking kiss of death. If Austin Aries was willing to leave because he thought he saw the writing on the wall and saw no future for him in the division after losing to the champion three consecutive pay per views in a row, then I think Neville would do the same. But the thing with Neville is that he just lost the championship. And he's also been one of the biggest, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest success stories all year round in WWE. So why would he quit now as opposed to a year ago? As opposed to two years ago? when they were doing nothing with the guy in the main roster. So, I just find the timing really, really hard to believe. I wouldn't want to see him doing nothing on 205 Live, feuding with fucking Noam Dar. I think that would be a massive waste. But, I would have given it more time before he quote-unquote quit. We still don't know. I mean, by the time this goes up, maybe another report will be out that says that he did not quit, or that it was granted. I'm not exactly sure. But the fact that he has yet to say anything about the matter, and has yet to say that they're false on his Twitter is not a good sign. So I guess we'll see where this goes and how it ends up. But bottom line, like I said earlier, if Neville does leave the WWE, it's going to be a massive blow not only to the division, but WWE because he is one of the best wrestlers in the world. He has proven that time and time again this year with the likes of Akira Tozawa, Jack Gallagher, Rich Swan, Austin Aries, and all these other guys that he is a tremendous performer and he has a way higher ceiling, way higher ceiling than just competing with the cruiserweights. He could be at that USIC title level and just being relegated to 205 Live for the rest of his career would be a fucking waste of that talent. So if he did quit and he wanted to take his talent elsewhere, I understand that. But again, I just find it hard to believe because I do think that um, it was too soon. If he quit like a few months from now after just doing nothing on 205 Live for a little while, then I would understand it. But I still find this story a bit hard to believe. So we'll see where it goes. Again, we'll find out hopefully more in the coming days but it would be a big blow, not only to 205 Live, but the WWE have Neville went elsewhere, because he is just an incredible performer, and we've only seen just a taste of what he's actually capable of. Like, that's the scary thing. Like, his matches all year have been great, but imagine seeing him up against the likes of the Young Bucks, Will Ospreay, Ricochet, and all those guys in Ring of Honor, New Japan, and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So I'm not to say that I want to see him leave. I do want to see him stay in WWE because his heel persona he's had going on since the start of the year has been fucking awesome. But um, I really hope he doesn't take off. And and that that he does take off, that his talents will be better utilized elsewhere. So that was Raw in a nutshell. There really wasn't much else in the show that was worth noting. Uh, Bray Wyatt is Sister Abigail. Who the fuck cares? Like at this point, can you really can you really care about anything that Bray Wyatt's involved in? And I don't know if I talked about it last week at all. I don't think I did. But the whole thing with Bray Wyatt and the fact that he's, that he's Sister Abigail, that he's just going to put on a fake costume with the pay-per-view, all i got to say at this point is not about Bray, but what a waste of Finn Balor. What a fucking waste. And if they were trying to build him back up and give him a shot at the Universal Championship at Survivor Series, and I heard Brock Lesnar might be at the show now. Apparently as now he's advertised for the event in place of John Cena. So, maybe we get Balor and Brock at Survivor Series? Not exactly sure, but I think it would be cool if we did. They just need to end this program as soon as possible because it is just killing Finn Balor. And Bray Wyatt is damaged goods. He is officially damaged goods. This is just pure garbage. Uh, Speaking of pure garbage, also on the show, we had Emma beating Sasha Banks, Alicia Fox, Bailey, and Dana Brooke in a fatal five-way elimination match to earn the right to face Asuka in her debut match at TLC next Sunday. Now, I like how they built up Asuka's debut... And they're making it out to be a big deal. Um, Whoever won was going to get squashed by Asuka anyway. uh, And and it is interesting, too, because Emma was one of uh, Asuka's first rivals, opponents in NXT when she first showed up in NXT two years ago. And they had a really, really good match at the um, TakeOver London Live Special. I'm sure TLC should be no different. And then again, it might be because the main roster is a lot different from NXT. But if they are allowed to go all out like they were in NXT, they could have a real, real good debut match together for... uh, could be a great debut for Asuka in the ring if she is, if her and Emma were to have like a a nice competitive match and not just a a standard squash, which would be fine if they want to build up Asuka, but I think these two women could really go in there and have a great match, like we saw at Over London a few years ago. Um, But anyway, like I said, the match itself was fucking garbage. Uh, Alicia Fox and Dana Brooke have no business being in a Raw ring. They are just abysmal. Alicia Fox started out pretty promising, honestly, in the ring a few years ago. Or not even a few years ago. At this point, it's been like eight years. Nine years she's been in the company. And she has, not only has she not improved, she's gotten worse. I thought that was impossible. And I had someone tell me, oh yeah, she sucks in the ring. But her character, her character, because of her character, she should be pushed more. What character? She's been doing the whole freak out shit for like four or five years now. Who cares? Uh, But Emma did win that. Didn't really care about the match, but Emma Winning was the right call. So that's it, guys. That's pretty much all that happened in the week of WWE. I already talked about SmackDown in my Hell in the Cell review. Uh, Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable are promised next shot at the SmackDown tag team titles, which I'm looking forward to. Speaking of tag teams, the Bludgerin' Brothers, if that's how you pronounce it, luke Carver and Eric Rowan on, are on their way back to SmackDown Live as a tag team, as a unit. Very happy to see that. It's been a long time, especially for Rowan since we've seen him on SmackDown, so I'm glad he's being used again in a meaningful capacity. Becky Lynch knocked off Carmella. I already talked about the Sami Zayn promo, and uh, that was pretty much it. Yeah, Corbin and Styles had a great match in the main event for the United States Championship. And finally, Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler will meet in a rematch from Hell in the Cell this coming Tuesday on SmackDown Live. So before we wrap up, folks, rant Radio for the week, quick results Men NXT on Wednesday night. Peyton Royce knocking off Nikki Cross and Liv Morgan in a triple threat match to earn her spot in the NXT Women's Championship Fatal 4-Way match at TakeOver WarGames. Good match. Uh, Nikki Cross was cost the contest by an interfering Tanara Conti from the Mayon Classic after uh, orders from the Undisputed Era, so obviously furthering that feud between Sanity and Undisputed Era. The Velveteen Dream beat Leo Rush in his debut match. For Rush, that is, not Velveteen Dream. A really, really fun match, which should come as no surprise. They used to be tag team partners on the indie scene many years ago before Patrick Clark came to NXT. So, unsurprisingly, a very fun match. Speaking of fun, Laura Sullivan squashing Danny Burch. A lot of great stuff here. Street Profits beating Damian Smith and Marcos Espada. And finally, in the main event, Andrade Cien Almas beating Johnny Gargano in a rematch from NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3, which was excellent. Along with the two cell matches from the pay-per-view on Sunday, if there's any one match to watch from WWE TV this past week, it is Almas versus Gargano. This was fucking fire. Thoroughly enjoyed it. So, NXT, two thumbs up. Great show. We'll talk more about it and go more in-depth with NXT next week. I think Sanity versus Undisputed Era, I think, is on tap for next week's show. So, looking forward to that and much more. As well as a triple threat to determine... Or, maybe that's in two weeks. I think next week might be the triple threat between Ember Moon... Sonia Deville and Ruby Riot to determine the next person to enter the NXT Women's Championship Fatal 4-Way Match a takeover war games next month. As well as an exclusive interview with NXT Champion Drew McIntyre on next week's NXT. So, lots to look forward to right now in the NXT world and beyond in WWE and everything else. Uh, so, thank you guys for checking out Rant Radio for this week. Thoroughly appreciate Thanks to Sincar for his time once again. I had a great time talking to him. On next week's show, we're going to be doing TLC predictions. Now, on paper looks like a decent card and we don't know many matches that are going to be taking place at TLC as of right now but what we do know is that Oscar's debuting and The Shield is reuniting and that's all I need to know to look forward to TLC so we're going to do predictions for the pay-per-view next Thursday right here on WrestleRant Radio new episodes air obviously every single Thursday right here on nextairwrestling.net you guys can follow me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Matthews, and also on YouTube at youtube.com backslash c backslash Gramgius matthews once again guys thank you for your support of the show over the past 4 years i'm Gramgius matthews i'll catch your ass down the road